What's going on, everybody? It's your boy, Jordan. And this is Desmond. And welcome to episode 135 of Two Black Nerds. Yeah. That's right. It's that time once again for us to bring you our opinions and hot takes on all things fandom, pop culture, and entertainment. As always, you can find Two Black Nerds wherever you get your podcasts. Please make sure to hit that subscribe button and leave us a friendly rating and comment to show your support. And of course, join in on the conversation each and every week by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Two Black Nerds. We appreciate that love, y'all. And let's not forget to mention we have brand new merchandise that's available now at twoblacknerds.com. Go check out our Nerds of Thunder collection inspired by Thor Love and Thunder. We got t-shirts, crew neck hoodie stickers, mugs, and tote bags. So go ahead and place those orders right now. On today's show, we'll be reviewing Netflix's adaptation of the hugely influential graphic novel, The Sandman. Also, we'll be checking in with season two of the HBO Max reality series, Sweet Life Los Angeles. Plus, we have some other TV to discuss, including the series finale of Better Call Saul and Prime Video's adaptation of the comic series, Paper Girls. But before we get to any and all of that, we're kicking off this week's podcast with a review of the new Netflix original film starring Jamie Foxx, Day Shift. It's going to be a hot one in Los Angeles. So what's on the agenda today? My eyes are closed. Like every day. What are you doing in my room? Hunting vampires. Is a business. Cut next and cash your checks. Well, things have changed since you got your ass kicked out the union. If I don't come up with 10K, my wife and my daughter are gonna move to Florida. Hi, Dad. You're late again. And the union is the only place that could give me that kind of money. Your record is chock full of incidents. But he's a new man. One last chance. This is your final warning. Just keep crying. Oh, no! Vampires just tried to kill me. Now I just pissed my favorite fucking Hey, 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 everybody pisses themselves the first time. Really? Yeah. Did you? No, I I didn't, but but listen, you did. You know what I see when I see a vamp? Big old dollar sign. Hey, don't you puke in here. I swallowed it. Locked and loaded. Vampires. They're the monsters. And all they are is murderers. Does not eclipse, new moon, breaking dawn, point one. It ain't like that, all right? Why do you know the names to all the specific Twilight films? What? And what's your gripe with Breaking Dawn Part 2? It's the exciting conclusion of the whole Twilight saga. Welcome to the day shift, motherfucker. <laughs> Works every time. Murder was the case that they gave me. 
Now, this film is directed by J.J. Perry, and it's written by Tyler Tice and Shea Haddon, and it's starring Jamie Foxx, Dave Franco, Snoop Dogg, Natasha Liu Bordizo, Megan Good, Carla Souza, Steve Howey, and Scott Agins. So, Day Shift is a movie that we've known about for a few months now. As usual, Netflix at the top of the year usually rolls out this big trailer that highlights all of their upcoming original films with all of the big stars that they have attached to them. And Day Shift, of course, was one of the prominently featured movies in their long slate of 2022 movies that'll be coming out this year. And obviously, Obviously, we recognize it because Jamie Foxx, one of the most notable and recognizable stars in the world, was leading mm-hmm. up this movie. And we got a trailer a few weeks ago, which looked really promising. It looked like it was going to be a really fun adventure. And so this movie finally did premiere on Netflix this past week. So with all of that out the way and all that being said, I'll pass it over to you, man. What did you think about Day Shift? Man, I came into this movie with, um, of course, a couple biases. Uh, one, huge Jamie Foxx fan, no matter what he's in. I'm going to usually always support anything that Jamie has going on and even no matter what kind of movie Jamie Foxx is in I think he always brings some sort of charisma and and pizzazz to the screen he could be in the worst movie ever and it'd be like you know it's still watchable because Jamie Foxx is in it and it exists um and I think I have to you know I kind of echo that sentiment here uh that you know Day Shift isn't the greatest movie in the world but between you know Jamie Foxx again being the star of this and there being um, some really good action sequences and choreography in it, um, it was very much watchable for me, man. I, 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 again, I went into this movie against Netflix. We know they've been struggling for a very long time, at least to give us specifically um, some movies that we can really say we walked out um, enjoying, man. Some uh, just a lot of mediocre stuff coming out of Netflix, and you know, although many people I think would agree that this belongs right there, it just it earns a, a a little bit more of a higher spot. One because of Jamie Foxx, and two because it's black people with vampire and vampires, and so um, I, I tend to to gravitate toward thinking about more how cool the action was in this film than I'm thinking about just how poor the story was around it, man. Um, you know, and this film is about you know Jamie Foxx as a dad trying to hunt vampires in the daytime in order to get his family back but the villain in the in this movie is the part that makes no sense for the most part um carla souza is she was in um you know uh, uh, how to get away with murder huge 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 role in that in that tv show and i actually do i think enjoy her performance in this film as the villain but her as the villain again still doesn't make any sense when you, if anybody's seen this film just yeah, it's the part that falls apart for me. It's like, okay, but why are we doing this when the villain doesn't have to do this at all? And I think that kept taking me away uh, from the movie multiple times throughout it. Um, Dave Franco, uh, of course, comes in as comedic relief. This is very much an action comedy. And I think he he's good at like playing these characters. But I think I'm also kind of tired of seeing him kind of in, in these characters. I, will, he, I feel like Dave Franco is starting to get typecast to me. And so while watching it, I'm sure I was like, okay, this is, there's some funny parts. It's Dave Franco. It's going to be some funny parts. But at the same time, I'm ready. I think I'm ready to see Dave Franco with some other things, you know, as someone who, of course, respects himself as a, as a, as a uh, a well-known actor. I just feel like it's time for him to kind of step out of his comfort zone a little bit. Um, Anything Making Good is in, I'm going to be happy that I'm watching. Um, And Snoop Dogg, uh, it's just really cool to see him in anything. He's, of course, doing whatever the hell he wants, but Again, all in all, um, I, I I can't say I hated Day Shift. Of course, I didn't I didn't love it. It's not my favorite vampire thing at all, but I think I did enjoy watching it more than other people did because those uh, action sequences and that choreography I thought was really dope. They were doing some things I'd never seen before. 
Um, it was fast paced, but the problem is usually mostly the in betweens. There's those in betweens that just did not uh, land for me and stick with me as they should. But again, with Jamie Foxx and some action, I was okay with it, man. Um, so yeah. So director J.J. Perry, this is his first full-length feature film. He's had a long career in Hollywood. He's mostly been known as a stunt double, and he's done a lot of bit parts in that in that capacity. He's probably most famous for being the the stunt actor to do all of the stuff for Johnny Cage in the original mm-hmm. Mortal Kombat movie from 95. And he's had, again, a long career thereafter. He's even done like stunts and stuff for The Rundown, which starred Dwayne The Rock Johnson. So this is a noticeable trend that we're seeing where we're having mm-hmm. these stunt workers become feature-length film directors. We just talked about Bullet Train last week with David Lee. Of course, Chad Stahelski has been doing an incredible job, I think, with the John Wick franchise. And so when you get a stunt director coming onto an action movie, it makes a lot of sense, you know, especially if they've had a long career. They understand what it takes to pull off really impressive action sequences, which can be, you know, sort of the bread and butter of these movies. Like a lot of a lot of these films sometimes live and die by how impressive and how new and innovative these things can be on screen. Mm -hmm. And so I was looking forward to this for all the reasons you said as well, in addition to the cast, you know, and and who's attached to it, especially with Jamie Foxx, have always really really appreciated the work that jamie's been doing and lately netflix and their algorithm is love jamie fox because he's doing a lot of work for them we mm-hmm. talked about that movie project power which i thought was okay it was a fine movie and he's done a, a few other things with them over the over the past couple of years and so this is a new project that i was coming in had my hopes up for it and i walked away and i thought that this was a pretty sucky movie i really mm-hmm. didn't like it at all it was not really any redeeming quality for me which is really really unfortunate although i can't say i'm that surprised just considering how I've been feeling about Netflix films for the longest time now. It just feels like a really big missed opportunity with this movie Mm -hmm. for me for a number of reasons. One, when you have such talented people a part of the cast, I just want more. That's not to say Jamie Foxx is bad, but we know that he's capable of doing a lot more. And he's fine as this action hero in this movie as the primary lead. He's totally fine and doesn't necessarily get misused, but it just often feels like this is a guy who's trying to salvage something that really... It's just not in a place to be saved because it Mm -hmm. is so mediocre. And then the other people that are a part of it, I generally like Dave Franco, although I do agree with your take about being typecast and not really challenging himself in in ways that we would probably like to see, as well as other people a part of this. But overall, what feels like the biggest missed opportunity for me is that on top of this being, I think, a mediocre story with a very basic script with just, you know, didn't really challenge Mm -hmm. me or introduce anything new into this genre of like vampire films it just feels like that they didn't take the time needed to really build out this mythology and kind of create their own world right like you're you're existing within this this modern day setting of la where there are vampires and jamie foxes you know sort of daylighting as a pool cleaner although he is really a vampire hunter and there were not really many opportunities spent on how did this world get like this how did we end up in this position why is this so important right now in this present day and age and what is the makeup of the vampires in the larger context of of, of la as a city at this point exactly. army of the dead certainly not a perfect movie by any stretch one thing that i really liked about army of the dead that we talked about a couple of years ago is the fact that Zack snyder took some time to really build out the mythology of the of the vampires and the zombies i should say not vampires but the zombies that existed within that in that modern day context we we kind we kind of got an understanding that there was a hierarchy present we understood how things ended up the way that they did but this didn't take the time to do that and not saying that every movie does because this movie does kick off with an action sequence at the beginning and thrusts you right into the story which i did appreciate it didn't really waste time but 
I thought that there were just moments where we could have really just understood better, like, how are things the way that they are right now? And then you compound that with what I thought was a very dull script and didn't do anything new, plus action sequences, which are inventive and are really cool. But again, I don't really under have an understanding of, like, how can these vampires do this stuff? Like, how are mm -hmm. they so acrobatic and flexible and just, like, really crazy with these moves? Like, how did we get here, you know? And I, I think <laughs> that that stuff would have been interesting to unpack. Yeah. And this movie feels like it tried to go for something very simple, which, you know, I think simplicity is is sometimes kind of overlooked these days. I think simplicity can be a really, really good thing mm -hmm. if it's utilized properly. But for me, with a story that already has so many pieces that just don't really match up to what ultimately the sell of this movie should be, having a simple story on top of that stuff just doesn't aid it in really any positive way. And, and one smaller gripe that I have with it, this is a little bit of a tangent, but one thing that I noticed, like, this is meant to be a very violent movie, also kind of very gory, but a thing about the vampires in this film is that when you kill them, when you see quote-unquote blood, it's black. It's always just black blood, and I'm like, yeah. wait a second, I want viciousness i want gore i want blood in a vampire story make that shit red like it should be Yay, morbius it should be <laughs> it should be like the color of of blood that you would come to expect to see in these types of movies and i'm just like that feels like a business big missed opportunity because why why is it black like mm -hmm. I, I i maybe you know maybe there was like bigger thought and scientific sort of reasoning behind that like oh mm -hmm. well if this is like the undead then you know they're they're black they're 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 black blood would actually naturally be that color because of whatever reason i don't know i'm making up i'm making up excuses now i just think that when you go into this type of movie you expect to see certain things you know i think some mm -hmm. of the things that we're accustomed to seeing like blood and gore with a vampire movie like keep that like, there's nothing wrong with it if it ain't broke don't fix it why there's black blood everywhere just felt silly to me so overall i i really just didn't enjoy it i, I did not enjoy it i was very disappointed by it and i was kind of upset that i watched it because it didn't do anything for me and i the the choreography and the fight sequences are well done that that was kind of expected coming into mm -hmm. it with jj perry as the filmmaker behind it but that that's just not enough for me in this in this particular instance because this feels like a genre that 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 can be a home run you know especially because we don't get that much vampire stuff as often these days but it, it was not a home run by any stretch um what are your thoughts just about you know filmmakers who were longtime stunt doubles or, 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 you know, sort of background players, you know, coming into the forefront being director, directors these days. I think we've mostly seen it work, but in this particular mm -hmm. instance, though you did like it, I noticed that this does have a little bit more of a mixed reaction across the board, so people are not really not really feeling this one, maybe to the degree of like a, a, a John Wick, you know, of course, but uh, what do you think about this new trend and what we're seeing out of these filmmakers, and, and does it make sense for them to be in these positions making these big-budget action movies these days? Yeah, I think in in some regards it does, right? But I think the writer and the director need to come to a, a conclusion that the movie makes sense. <laughs> and I think that's, you know, us talking about it, it's one of Day Shift's biggest problems is there wasn't enough fleshed out in the story that could have made it better. Um, and, and, you know, we, like you said, we came in expecting, you know, the action to be decent. But imagine we come in expecting the action to be decent and the story to be decent because the writing is there. And so, and, you know, here it just feels like the writing wasn't there. But I feel like some of what J.J. Perry was doing was fine. It wasn't his fault. The story just wasn't there. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I think, you know, when, when it really comes down to, I think, the collaboration of it all. Um, and we've been seeing even a trend of that. We've been talking about that a lot on this show. It's like, OK, you got the cast. Where's the story at? where it's what's what's happening and so um i think if we get out of that trend i don't mind you know these 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 traditional stunt um stunt men and stunt women becoming directors man because i think they have an eye they've been on these sets i think they know what the action looks like but i think of course they're going to need a little bit of help when it comes to some story things they didn't have to care about the story jump in and do this thing 
you know what I mean? That's really their job. And so I think if, if you know, again, that collaboration becomes more fruitful and in, in more understanding across the board, then we'll start to get more movies um, out of them, but really out of everyone. I agree. And I say it really, I feel like almost every week at this point, how important tone is, right? And I think tone mm-hmm. is just mm-hmm. one of those things that feels like it should be easy to crack, but it's really not. It's actually extremely difficult. And I think we're seeing that in a lot of the a lot of the films or even TV shows. Exactly. Mm -hmm. A lot of the films and TV shows we're talking about, the tone just sometimes feel all over the place. And for me, watching this movie that is supposed to have a comedic element, I didn't laugh one time. I Mm -hmm. I had no joy laughing at anything. I'm just like, well, it's supposed to be a comedy. So what happened there? But it's shifting often back and forth between this high concept action versus comedy versus a little bit of drama that's that's sprinkled throughout with some of the characters. And you have a villain who should be intimidating, but doesn't necessarily feel that way. So the tone just did also feel all over the place. So I think mm-hmm. to your point about the writing and that collaboration, how the director can bring their vision and their influence, of course, and JJ, you know, in this particular instance, his experience as a stuntman and teaming that with the story that feels like it does the service to, to these characters that it really should, especially to the actors that are signed on, would ultimately result in a better product. But it seems like there was something off here. But I don't know. We'll have to see how these things continue to shape out as we see more movies coming from Stuntman in the future. But those are our thoughts on the new Netflix film, Day Shift. If you've seen this, definitely hit us up and let us know what you think. With that being said, let's go ahead and transition to our next film that we're going to talk about, a brand new fantasy animated comedy from Apple TV Plus, Luck. <laughs> Good luck to us both. <gasps> oh! I blame bad luck for everything that's gone wrong in my life. You sure have bad luck, Sam Greenfield. Ugh, take that, universe. Oh! Until... I found an actual lucky penny. finally turn my life around. Yes, 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 yes! And what did I do? <gasps> I flushed it down the toilet. <gasps> you flushed my panty down the toilet! <gasps> you just talked. <gasps> Wait, I just need another penny. Whoa! Always with the obnoxiously long password. Ah! Ah! Humans cannot be here! Where's here? The land of luck. I'll leave as soon as you give me another lucky penny. You best start blending in. Hello. Mighty Leprechaun Fräulein. Well done, nature. This is where good luck is born. A dragon? She's the only creature that can sniff out bad luck. There's bad luck here too. Good luck on top, bad luck on the bottom. The tiniest amount of bad luck can shut down our entire operation. Just how unlucky are you? Ah! Oh, oh no. Ah! Super duper unlucky. You cause a disaster. Ah! The good luck connection has been severed. I doomed you and everyone else to a life of bad luck. We need to fix this. What are you doing here? Good luck to us both. What about Jeff? Unstyle, yeah, style, go, go down. I have no words. 
Now, this movie is directed by Peggy Holmes, and it's written by Keel Murray, and it's starring Eva Noblezada, Simon Pegg, Jane Fonda, Whoopi Goldberg, Flula Borg, Lil Rel Howery, Colin O'Donohue, and John Ratzenberger. So this is a movie that I noticed on a billboard outside. We were leaving the movies one day, and we yeah. saw, oh, Apple TV has a brand new animated film coming out, which is somewhat new for them. They haven't really put out a ton of animated stuff. They are obviously one of the newer streaming services, and they don't have the the, the, the fortunate aspect of having a backlog of content and, and catalog like some of these other streamers do. They have to make everything original since Apple is mostly a tech company. But an animated feature film, which is costing a pretty penny, it's a very expensive animated feature film, just premiered on Apple TV Plus a couple of weeks ago. This is something you got a chance to check out. I have not seen Luck yet. But that being said, I'll pass it over to you. What did you think about this brand new film? Man, so this movie is about a young lady named Sam, who is just the most unluckiest girl in the world i mean everything goes bad for her she steps in puddles and i don't know everything um and it gets kind of weird where a cat comes into her life and all of a sudden makes her lucky and they end up in the world or the land of luck where there exists leprechauns (laughs) and all kind of other things um and so she's trying to figure out how to permanently change her luck around as a very unlucky woman so um, pretty much this movie is about her and this relationship with the cat that, that made her lucky and what the land of luck brings and looks like. Long story short, this movie is not great. Um, it is very long for no reason. It feels longer than what it is. It's hour 45, but at, you, you won't see a lot of animated films that's <laughs> even that long for the most part. Um, the, the, to be honest, the animation isn't even like the most beautiful thing in the world either. Um, which again, when you add more time to a movie, I feel like that's more work that people have to do to make it. it, It's very basic, I think, in today's age um, and where animation in a lot of ways is thriving in beautiful ways. Uh, Even though we didn't love Lightyear, the way the movie looks, I think it's still crazy. Like I can go watch Lightyear and be like, ooh, that's beautiful. You know what I mean? But this is just feels, it feels like when Over the Hedge, you remember that movie first came out? I do, yeah. And that's a decent movie, but that's what the animation feels like to me. I don't know. It's just very, it's like, dang, it moves old. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it, it feels very much like that. Um, but this movie, it feels like there's way too much going on. The movie is so much about being lucky and unlucky. There's a couple of, of, of values in it, right? Lessons in it that I guess people and kids can get from it. But it's so noisy with all the crazy creature stuff going on that it's hard to really tell what's going on um sure there's some cuteness to it yeah of course um there there has to be cuteness to it it's what animation does they're like okay what's the cute thing here but there's 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 really not enough to sit through an hour and 45 movie here i think for anyone there's very there's better options again animation really across the board has has really been killing it these past couple years in even some stuff that we haven't even watched yet to be honest like there's some good stuff out there and i'd rather for people to watch something else than to watch this uh Sure, there's some there's some other stuff that is decent, I think, towards the end of the film. But again, man, all in all, I just don't think this is a movie worth watching. Um, it's sad to say. Um, again, this is another cast that's really good. And it's another cast that makes sense. Um, when you watch the movie, you're like, okay, that makes sense as that character. That makes sense as that character. But the world that they built um, in this movie is too much. It's just too much. I think there's way to do fantastical 
uh, uh, and for it to make sense. For an example, Raya in the, in the Last Dragon does it well to me. There's a lore behind it. There's things in it that's like, okay, this matches to this thing. I'll, shoot to this lore in real life in some ways right there, there people are like oh there's these are where dragons come from this is what happens here in this movie it's it's none of that it's just a bunch of running around in greenery and leprechauns man um and i wish i could say more about it but i really can't uh because it's just not okay so that's that's kind of where i left it that's really unfortunate. You would hope to expect something a little bit better from the animation front, especially in a time where we are getting such good stuff. Uh, this is produced by Skydance Animation, which is a brand new animated division who's working with Apple closely. So I think that this is their first feature length film. And again, I'm pretty sure that this is Apple in terms of their original films, also their first animated foray. So a lot of growing, it seems like that they have to do. And this is not easy, obviously, you know, animation. People don't realize all the time that these movies take longer to make than live action films. They take Thanks. incredibly long time to have production processes that, that give you enough lead time to get these things out in a reasonable time frame. So a lot of thought and a lot of care goes into these. And so this probably seems like the prime example of something that just can't be rushed out. I know this was shopped around, you know, quite a bit before it landed to Apple, but hopefully they got room to grow and develop and to get into a better place instead of telling something that we've probably already seen before, because with mm -hmm. animation, you have to be even more creative and more inventive because that's just the natural expectation. Now we're living in a world where you can literally do anything. You're not confined by the limitations of real life or gravity like animation provides you a pretty much a limitless canvas. And so I think you have to have imaginative people behind the boards who can who can do that stuff. And that's not to say that there weren't talented people a part of this. I'm sure that there were, but something something happened. There was a disconnect between the concept and what they what they pitched and ultimately what we mm -hmm. got in this movie which is which is unfortunate you would definitely want to see something better but those are our thoughts on the brand new apple original film luck if you've checked this out on apple tv plus definitely hit us up and let us know what you think of that being said let's go ahead and transition to tv you got a lot of tv shows to talk about first up we have to talk about the hugely influential adaptation of the popular graphic novel series from the late 80s and early 90s the sandman he could do. I need your help. If dreams disappear, then so will humanity. I could do without dreams for a while. I haven't had a decent night's sleep in ages. I'm not gonna stop until I've reshaped this world. Tell us what power of dreams you have. about giving up, but I have a job to do when I do it. Things have changed. Your eyes will tell me everything, every thought, every feeling. My creations do not walk amongst the living, killing mortals for pleasure. Oh, you don't think dreams can die? Let's find out. do not belong in the waking world. Oh, it turns out I fit right in. 
wounds don't die. Now, this series is developed by Neil Gaiman, David S. Goyer, and Alan Heinberg, and is starring Tom Sturridge, Boyd Holbrook, Vivian Achipong, and Patton Oswalt. So, The Sandman has a long, long, long history, not only, obviously, as the graphic novel and the comic series, which ran throughout the early to mid-90s by DC Comics, but also just as a project that's been in pretty much development hell for the better part of 30 years. Ever since mm. The Sandman was published, people have been trying to make The Sandman into something, whether it be a movie or a TV series, and it's gone through so many iterations, and pretty much the only constant that's remained throughout every iteration is Neil Gaiman himself, who did write that original comic run, but it's gone through everywhere. It's gone through Warner Brothers at, at one particular time. Obviously, Warner Brothers is a parent company of DC. At one point in time, Joe Joseph Gordon-Levitt was attached to the project as a producer and a star. They've had writers, they've had directors come through, and nothing has been able to work. This has been a long gestating project. But finally, over the past few years, they've been able to get things in motion and to get this actually on the screen in front of our very eyes. And ultimately, it lands on Netflix, which is a bit of a untraditional move considering this is a part of a DC imprint. It's not DC proper per se, it's a part of Vertigo, but it is DC at the end of the day. And so it's interesting to see that this didn't land on another streamer or in movie theaters or even on an HBO Max, for example, it did land on Netflix. But that being said, the series is now out and I can go ahead and start because I did get a chance to watch all 10 episodes. And I do want to preface this and say that I've never actually read The Sandman from beginning to end. I've known mostly about the story. I got the broad strokes just by being exposed to comics and just sort of researching and understanding what this character was. And a lot of people that I've tapped into or follow, whether it be pundits or critics or whatever the case may be, have been influenced by Sandman. They've talked about how Sandman was pivotal to their writing journey and to them becoming filmmakers and writers themselves. And so naturally, because of that, I wanted to expose myself and just get a good understanding of what this story was. And so I have a sense of the broad strokes, but I've never actually sat from beginning to end to read these comics. And so coming into the series, my expectations were somewhat high because of the praise that the Sandman always gets, but also it was in a place of not somebody that's attached to the original source material. And that being said, I really like the show. I think it's really, really good so far. And I know that there's probably going to be more seasons just based off of the popularity of the Sandman and what that name means. And I think if enough people watch it, which it seems like enough people are, Netflix will certainly greenlight future seasons because there's plenty more story to tell. But so far with this first season, I really liked what I saw. Is everything perfect? Certainly not. There's some things that I personally am not necessarily probably the best to speak on just because I didn't read those initial books. Mm -hmm. But there are certain things that, you know, for me, don't always keep me invested into the story. And I will say that Sandman is one of those stories where there's a lot of fantastical stuff happening. There's really, really imaginative stuff happening. And visually, it's tricky to pull off. And I think that's why that's another reason why it's taken so long to pull this property off is because visually you have to have filmmakers and people attached to it who understand the language of the Sandman and what that comic represented on the pages and how things can be communicated on screen. And it's a tough, it's a tough code to crack. And I think for the most part, based off of what I've seen and been able to compare, they pretty much did it here. I think visually it's extremely faithful. The story is also extremely faithful from what I understand, which 
can be for better and for worse. You know, sometimes adapting things and changing things can be for the better, especially in a different medium. But I think by and large, what I really enjoyed about this is the performances. I think the cast here is doing really, really incredible work, especially the lead, Tom Sturridge, as the titular character. He's really, really good here. He's very convincing. And I know that his character goes on a very complex and intricate journey in future stories. And so it's interesting to see the foundations of what that looks like here. Plus, the rest of the supporting cast was also really talented to me. I think the only gripe really that I have with this entire experience is that it does start off a little bit slow. It takes a little bit of time to get going. But by the time we get to episode four and five, especially, and then, you know, into the future yeah. episodes, it really picks up, especially episode five is just pretty much incredible from, from across the board. And that's where I found myself getting really, really excited about what was going to happen throughout the remainder of the season. And overall, I really enjoyed it. Again, it's not the greatest thing I've ever seen. And I'm not also super tied to the comic books, you know, so I'm not a person who's sitting here like, oh my goodness, they finally did it. They finally made this thing that we've been wanting for so long. I'm coming at it from a pretty casual perspective. And somebody that it's a casual sort of spectator saying, man, I think that this does everything it needs to do for the most part in terms of its first season. And it leaves open some really tremendous opportunities that might lie ahead for future seasons. Cause I understand that the story gets a lot darker and it gets a lot crazier and even weirder and a lot more happens over the course of the entire comic run. So it'll be very interesting, even for me as a casual viewer, to see how things play out in the future and with the rest of the story. But overall, I really enjoyed it. And I think if you're into dark stories and comic stories, stories that are untraditional compared to everything else you might see, whether it be from Marvel or DC, this is very different. This is de dealing with religion and hell and heaven and angels and demons. Mm -hmm. Like it's a lot of crazy dark stuff here, but that's what makes it so unique and so different than everything else that we're getting right now. Yeah, man, I got a chance to check out, I think the first, I think about episode four actually um, of, of the series. And first and foremost, man, Neil Gaiman, if you don't know, he's just one of the, really one of the best writers ever. Um, he has so many works that is are just you know renowned um, by people who read. Man, uh, even uh, the Eternals um, book that I have is by Neil Gaiman, the, one of the most regarded Eternals stories. And because a lot of people actually don't, man, we talk kind of talked about this, don't even really like Eternals like that, and even in the comics. <laughs> and so, but Neil Gaiman was able to you know to bring a little bit of life to it in the book uh, that he read, uh, he wrote as well. Um, and so coming into this, uh, there were actually last year, Sandman kind of started resurfacing. And I was like, what is going on here? Because I had known it to be a comic book, too. And I had no idea that it was going to be a Netflix adaption until maybe even earlier this year. Um, mm -hmm. Last year, when they were kind of resurfacing all the stuff in comic book stores, I'm like, wait a second. I feel like I know what this is. Like, what is going on here? I mean, I think Neil Gaiman re-released the audio book. He re-recorded the whole story again last year, too. And I was like man, what is this? And now it makes sense seeing that it's come out on Netflix. It's like, oh, that's because the same thing kind of happened when Watchmen was going on, too. I was like, why are we releasing all these Watchmen books? And then, you know, the HBO series came out. And so um, so it makes sense here. But, man, what I've watched so far, I love, man. You've pretty much said it all. I, the thing I love most about Sandman is just the world. Like, it's so unique. We've never seen anything like this before. Um, there are some similarities, of course, between... Uh, uh, of course, a lot of one, a lot of the the vampire things we read, a lot of the the Constantine things we read or read and watch, a lot of the uh, uh, heaven and hell type things. You know what I mean? The there's there's a lot of it in there, but I love how they're able to put it all together. The biblical references are really cool. The, uh, uh, Cain and Abel are in here, and it's like yeah. what? <laughs> but it's like I love the take. It's like such a different take. 
than Cain and Abel that we've ever seen before that it keeps you interested, you know, and there's, like you said, there are so many fantastical and imaginative things here that it's like, okay, I feel like when, as we're talking about it, it feels like it should be a mess, but I think Neil Gaiman just understands how to create the world without making it too muddled. And I think, like you said, it took a long time for this to get made. Um, one, I, I love that. I would be mad if we didn't have the technology that we have now. You know, it's one of my arguments for rebooting anything. It's like, does the technology make sense? And here it's like, I'm glad y'all waited because now we have the visual effects to to count, to counterpart, you know, a lot of the things that is, that's, that's happening in the book. Um, and so here we are now um, and it just feels like, Yes, I can't imagine if that sequence happened any other way. You know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of cool stuff um, that's going down. But like you said, it's dark. There's a lot of different things going on. Um, everything isn't perfect either, like you said. There's just some moments that's like, I don't I don't know if I could live without that. There's other moments that's like, I could have used a little bit more of that, <laughs> you know, over here. Um, but all in all, man, I'm having a great time. Um, I, I did read a decent amount of chapters of Sandman. I also didn't finish it either. I've never finished it. Um, but I also love the cast that they picked for this, man. I think uh, uh, Tom Sturridge's voice is really great here. Um, in the beginning, he's just narrating, and I'm like, is this the main character? <laughs> and I was like, he's going to talk like this the entire time. You know what I mean? I was like, dang, this dude's voice is crazy. Um, but it's it's really enjoyable, man. I also love how um, how different the cast is. People always, talking to, always talk about you know how diverse their casts are, but I think I feel like they actually set out to get the right people. You, if yeah. that makes sense they were like we're gonna get this this has to be the guy and they said that across the board it, it kind of feels like um the only thing that feels a little bit off to me is Patton oswald's character <laughs> he like he was like taking me out of it a little bit because it sure. is such a dark you know uh it's, it's so dark um and it's like Patton oswald is is here in this yeah i don't know it's just i was just like i wasn't ready for that but again man i, I can't wait to see the rest of it um and i'm sure with the critical reception is getting this is not the last time we'll we'll see or hear of Sandman, man. I can see a lot coming. Um, there's a bunch of Comic Cons coming up too. I wouldn't be surprised if they announce it at like a New York Comic Con or something else down the line here soon. That uh, that Sandman season two, of course, is in the works um, again because of that fan base and because, like you said, you neither one of us has really finished the books. We're not super true to the comic book, and we still you know are enjoying it. So I can see them coming back um, definitely to to. Um, add some chapters to the story so i'm with it man i'm having a good time yeah that would be interesting the, the the main line ran for like seven or eight years so there's quite a lot there that they can do and that they can further adapt into future stuff but i, I totally agree man also the cast here like i just want to shout out quickly like two game of thrones alum gwendolyn christie and charles dancer in this show yeah. which that was so pleasant and gwendolyn christie is playing lucifer morningstar and i'm just like crazy yo that's fucking amazing that's incredible and she did great that's probably my favorite episode at this point yeah, in, in the entire entire it. series she's really great and so yeah i think that there's a lot here that they could continue to pull from and that production value is just so important to have with this type of world that they're telling the story within because there's a lot of crazy stuff that happens on screen and it just probably wouldn't have been possible you know back in the 90s mm -hmm. or even early 2000s and it may not even have been suitable for a movie you know so i think having a dc property live on netflix which is 
again, untraditional and, and not what we're used to seeing per se, this might have been the right avenue and really the right time as well. And that's a rarity where we get things that all collide and happen really kind of at the perfect time. And it seems like for the Sandman's case in particular, having Neil Gaiman still be a part of it, which is something as that you want to have as a he legend. should be. Mm-hmm. And and then having the proper platform and the proper budget. I mean, this is just kind of, I think, a, a perfect scenario of, of, of everything coming into place at the, at the right time that they needed it. So we'll have to stay tuned and see what happens next with the Sandman. But it seems like season one is definitely a hit for Netflix. So those are our thoughts on the series The Sandman. If you've checked this out, definitely hit us up and let us know what you think. Let's go ahead and transition and talk about the HBO Max reality series that just returned for season two, Sweet Life Los Angeles. It's Prono 6 LA's number one for hip hop, Sweet Life. This show is so fire. I appreciate you. You're not leaving yeah. without being in the hot seat. Talk to me. I just feel like after the group chat, you came at me weird. You disrespect your friends. What's the tea? We have a lot of work to do within this friendship. We've just been trying to scale our businesses to get us all on the same page. The drama just needs to stop. Uh, I just want us to all get along. You gotta put in work. Period. Chopper doing circles. It's a bird. Bird. Done politicking with the competition. What's the word? Chip I feel like this is a good time to reset and think about what's next. Bring my boy on as a client. Marriage. Me and Amanda moving into a new crib. Go and bring Patiri to Mexico. I'm waking up. I'm winning the day. Mic check one, two, one, J with my baby. You're not a rapper. When nobody round, I was independent. They say don't mix business with friendships. What's the big issue? Beat him up. Beat him up. But I didn't follow my own advice. Becky is so upset with Miami. I just been rep the wrong way. Nobody's been holding Thailand accountable. So you anti Thailand. Every time I go on a trip, it's always something. We didn't talk to each other for months. Just tell me what's wrong. I've been popping the fuck off. Let nobody in. Drama follows me. You know how we do. This is our time for growing up and glowing up. It's just been beautiful to see our friends just blossom. I call that growth. You have so many things going for yourself. Can I get a applause? Bitch, yes. Here's to chasing our dreams and doing it together. I'm OD and Paris, I'm OD and friends. I thought that I told you I need the advance. I need the advance. That's fire. Yeah. Y'all global. Well, national. National, global. Thank you. You inspire me so much. Show me that. Show me that fire. So this series is created by Issa Rae and is starring Amanda Scott, Brianna Jones, Cheryl Devin, Gerald Smith II, PJ Compton, Tylen Burns, Rebecca Maggot, Rob Lee, and Jalen Hart. So the Sweet Life cast is, of course, back. This is a show that we both had our eyes on last year when it initially premiered. We knew that Issa Rae was creating a bunch of new series for HBO Max as a part of her overall deal. And Sweet Life kind of came along out of nowhere and took... I think took the world by storm, at least the black community, at least in terms of reality shows and tuning into this new colorful cast of characters, this young group of 20 somethings living in South Los Angeles, figuring out their way, coming up, starting their businesses and their overall friendship and dynamics with each other. And now, thankfully, they've returned for season two and we've gotten seven episodes. So the season is mostly done. I think they have another three that will be releasing later this week, but we got a good chunk of the season thus far. So that being said, man, I'll pass it over to you quickly. What do you think so far about Sweet Life Los Angeles? Man, this movie, I said this movie, this TV show is still my guilty pleasure. Um, I've never been, like, the biggest reality show person ever. If I did, I was always, like, watching it with my mom and stuff, you know, the New York 
hip hops and all those <laughs> all those TV shows. Um, but but man, again, this is just a guilty pleasure for me, man. I just love to see people our age argue about nothing. It's great. I don't know why I enjoy it. It's messy for no reason. It's toxic for no reason. Um, <laughs> I love hearing like sometimes like sometimes that they'll, they'll continue to tell you that it's unscripted because it's like sometimes it's even more ridiculous. It's like y'all really came up with this like on your own. Y'all really mad at each other in real life. And you can actually tell sometimes that they are mad at each other in real life because of the way they interact on social media. I do follow a couple of them on social media. So it's just funny to see like the ways in which kind of people um, people on the show move, man. But uh, I have to say I'm still having a great time. Some stuff feels a little uh, I don't know forced is the word, but you can definitely tell they try to set up situations for certain things. I don't know if that's like a directorial thing or how that works because i feel like somebody's like i feel like there's a psychologist somewhere who's like okay if you put this person in the room and this person in the room we're gonna get some good tv regardless and i feel like they do that multiple times um they're really good at that so of course even though it's unscripted i feel like they do stuff like that on purpose you know what i mean to 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 stir the pot of course they do but it's it's again it's a guilty pleasure man i'm having fun with it i think the i think each character bring something to the table that's interesting about them i think it's hilarious that nobody likes pj compton (laughs) (laughs) nobody 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 ever and nobody will ever like him it's clear it's day now like jesus pj you are in no one's good graces um but uh uh, middle of the season they go through some deep stuff i'm not going to spoil it in case you haven't watched it yet but ty and Jalen go to a therapy session and it is just like oh is this where the show was going? I like that. Like, I like the vulnerability of that session. Once you hear, you know, what's going on. I, it was unexpected, but very much something that I was, I think, uh, happy to hear. I know it sounds terrible, in, in, but, but happy to hear in the sense of this show getting a little bit more real than reality, if that makes sense. Than reality TV. I was like, yeah, this is this is some real stuff that's actually coming from the heart. So I wasn't expecting um, any of that. But but man, um, it's it's even messier now. I actually love them coming out with multiple episodes at once. Reality TV in my mind should always work like that. Like even in watching those shows, my mom like loving hip hop, blah blah blah. It would be like, well, can we just watch the next episode? You know what I mean? Like it's probably already recorded. <laughs> you know, kind of type thing. Um, so I love that uh, the, we got. Uh, these last three all in succession um i don't know if we'll get the last three in succession i don't know if that's happening or not we could get just one episode a week and and, until the end here but i would love for them to release another three at the same time um but yeah man other than that i actually love when they go to different locations too i know it's called sweet life la that's the point but in my mind la is their mindset they grew up and were born in la so i actually love when they go to different places because they take la with them and i think that's really interesting um about it too but all in all man again guilty pleasure i don't care if it's good bad i'm i still have a good time watching it regardless man so yeah i don't have a ton to add i'm still trying to figure out really in my mind why do i watch this because i do enjoy it guilty and I'm pleasure, just sitting there bro. like oh my goodness <laughs> like should I really be watching this? Because, you know, at this stage in my life, I'm not, I don't, this is the only reality TV show I watch. I, I did used to watch more as well when I was younger. I was into all the crazy stuff that, that, that used to come on, whether it was the, mm-hmm. the game shows, the love game shows that VH1 was known for, the Flavor oh, yeah. of Loves and the mm-hmm. Love and Hip Hops and all of that stuff, or even what they used to do with like Bad Girls Club and just the wild Bags. shit that would go down between those women and part of that show. Wild so I tapped women. out to, I tapped out of that stuff, you know, a while ago. And, you know, for good reason. I think sometimes reality shows can feel 
exploitative and, and very much not in a good way. And I don't like to be a part of that. And I don't like to, you know, sort of immerse myself in that for too long. And I'm not here to judge anybody that watches this stuff. I mean, there's definitely audiences for these for these things. But coming into this one, you know, seeing like a, a black a black group of you know friends that have known each other and they're growing up with each other and they're sort of just figuring out their life very much in a similar stage as many of us are right now at this point. There, there's something that's common there that's easy to understand and easy to translate within this series. And so far, I'm I'm enjoying this, you know, probably about as the same as I enjoyed season one, just because it is it is fun to watch. I, I can't mm-hmm. help it because one of the things, you know, that we, we get to see, not only are these people like working towards these bigger goals and aspirations, but just the dynamic that they have with each other, because a lot of them have known each other for quite a while. So mm-hmm. you get a lot of drama, you get a lot of crazy stuff that goes down, you get fights and arguments that happen. And yes, of course, PJ is like the villain of the show all of a sudden, <laughs> um, which is hilarious to me, you know, and I think it's even funnier now because like I'm watching this show and like I know people who know people are part of this show and are somewhat mm-hmm. connected. And so, yeah, you can you can absolutely tell stuff that's like produced, you know, you can tell right. stuff that is it 100 percent genuine or real but what i would agree with you on especially as it relates to that therapy piece is that ultimately at the end of the day these are real people even though they come off as characters as a part of a show Mm -hmm. and they all sort of represent their own individual pockets and they have their own personalities and they bring certain dynamics to the table you know you have a miami who was on the outs but is now as a a part of the friend group you know Mm -hmm. all of this stuff is true but they are real people at the end of the day. I think a lot of these folks have lives outside of this. And and one thing that I do like about this season thus far from what I've seen is that a lot of them have had to reckon with just like the experience of season one and what that did to them. Mm, whether Becky. it was stuff that, yeah, exactly. Whether it was stuff that happened on the show or even just like outside of the show, like things that they've been dealing with on a personal level that probably was just completely unexpected from their standpoint. So I like that they've integrated that into the story because I do mm-hmm. think it makes it more real and makes it more tangible for us to like really enjoy and grasp onto it. But overall, it's good. I like it. It's fine. I'm, I'm here for it. You know, if they if they do more, I'll be watching those because it is one of those shows that's it's such an easy watch and it goes by so quickly and it's just like such a nice casual thing to just tap into, especially as like a palate cleanser. If you watch something like that's super heavy or super conceptual, mm-hmm. it's nice to just turn this on and not really think about anything and just kind of watch other people's toxicity and drama <laughs> and not have to deal with the consequences. That's always like really fun for us to escape into that stuff. But nice. overall, solid show. Really enjoying it right now. Can't wait to see the final three episodes. But those are our thoughts on Sweet Life Los Angeles season two. If you've seen this series on HBO Max, definitely hit us up and let us know what you think. Let's go ahead and transition to our next series. we got to talk about the brand new Marvel Studios original shorts that just premiered on Disney+. Plus. I am Groot. Now, the series of original shorts is created and directed by Kristen Lepore, and it's starring Vin Diesel and Bradley Cooper, and it just recently premiered on Disney+, Plus, as I stated. With five original shorts, we knew that this was coming. This was one of the projects that was announced 
a couple of years ago, I think, at Comic-Con, when they were rolling out the Phase 4 slate, we knew that they were diving more into animation. And as a part of that, they wanted to develop a series of original shorts focused on our favorite little tree from the Guardians of the Galaxy, Groot, in particular Baby Groot in this instance. And so these five shorts finally just premiered on Disney Plus this past week. We got a chance to check them out. What do you think about I Am Groot so far, man? Yeah, man. Um, of course, they're shorts. Some shorts are better than others. Um, but they're fine, man. They're super short, though. And I think... Some of that is uh, uh, bittersweet, I think. You know, when you think of, um, I'm, I'm specifically looking at um, a lot of the Pixar shorts that we see, right? I think they're able to tell slightly more fun and complicated stories because they're closer to seven or eight minutes versus these three-minute <laughs> bits that we get out of, uh, you know, Baby Groot here. But um, I think, you know, they're just fine. Some of them are just like, eh. And, uh, and, and, and others are good, man. I think, uh, you know, going into this, I, I expected really what we got. Um, I, I don't know what else I could have expected out of this. For sure, my favorite short is, what is it called? The Little Guy is by far my favorite short um, out of these. Be I think just because there is a beginning, a middle, and an end. It's like, oh, there was a whole story here. Um, but but other than that, man, I can't couldn't really ask too much more out of these either except for again maybe some of these took a little more time to tell us a more rounded story in a short like even the very first one Groot's first steps is probably my least favorite because it doesn't really do much you know what I mean it didn't even didn't even have to exist does it exist absolutely but we didn't we didn't have to go there um so it's it, yeah they're okay I'm happy they exist they exist but also they didn't have to but I'm happy I'm, I'm yeah, they're cool, man. Plus, Groot is like the the cutest character ever. How could you not <laughs> want more of him? In fact, I I just watched what's we call it for the first time. Uh, Ralph breaks the internet. Groot is in there. I had no idea. Yeah. I watched it, and that might be the cutest Groot I've ever seen. Even after watching <laughs> these, I watched these and then watched Ralph breaks the internet. I was like, no, that's the cutest Groot I've ever seen. The one in Ralph breaks the internet. Um, and I thought that was funny because it just happened to line up that way. I had no idea. Um, but yeah, man, it's, they're fine. They're fine. That movie has a ton of Disney IP in it, but, uh, I agree that this is fine. This was a, a, a nice little quick watch. It, it really takes only 15 minutes because these are incredibly short, which I, I, I will have to say I am disappointed by, you know, I think mm -hmm. that this is, this is an opportunity that exists for Disney plus and for Marvel to maybe expand this a little bit more and do, do a little bit more with it. Because when we go to the movies and we see a Pixar film and they're always preceded by those shorts, oftentimes really incredible shorts i mean those are at least like eight nine sometimes mm -hmm. ten minutes long you don't want them to go too far and go too long i remember going to see coco a few years ago and they preceded that film with a frozen short and it was like 30 minutes long and i was like what in the hell are we doing here why is this short quote unquote so damn long like i want to see the main feature but that being said you know you should you should spend a little bit more time with this character you know if we're gonna if we're gonna sit down and invest and get ready for this i think that there should be more time and more space created because three minutes is just like so in and out and so it really isn't enough time to to digest and just like live in this world for all that long which i found to be quite disappointing if i'm not being if i'm being honest you know i mm -hmm. i wanted more you know if we were gonna really spend time in this world and with this character again and catching up with Groot that being said though they are good I think the animation is beautiful it's very photorealistic what they did here was was really 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 gorgeous and I think Kristen Lepore she's an incredibly talented artist in her own right she has 
great, great credentials. You know, she has mm -hmm. other short films that she's developed. She also recently just worked on Marcel with the Shell, which I know is a film yes. that we both still need to check out and review on here, but that's getting a lot of critical praise at this point. So obviously the woman is talented and I think the right person to lead this project. I just wanted more out of it. The best part about it for me though, ultimately, outside of the animation, outside of just spending time with like a really cute Groot, is the fact that I feel like in every short, they maintain the sense that Groot and really the Guardians as a whole, they're kind of scoundrels. They're not the greatest people. <laughs> and Groot does some really questionable stuff here. High maybe key. maybe kills some 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 creatures here <laughs> and there. And you're like, what just happened? Like, and But it's funny. It's really, really presented in a comedic way. And I, I like that they maintain that, that element about this character. And mm -hmm. again, about the Guardians as a whole. Because they're not perfect. They're very... Right rough around the edges and sometimes they kind of color outside the lines they have that mm -hmm. that 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 han solo lando calrissian about them where it's like just kind of questionable if they're doing the right thing or not so i like that they maintain maintain that element even for a baby Groot who's you know sort of just been born as these shorts are starting off and we're seeing him grow and maturate over the over the course of the five shorts here but they're cool i just want to see more i just want more time with them and hopefully if marvel goes back to the well and does more shorts in the future whether with this character or others maybe they'll just invest a little bit more to to give us some 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 additional opportunities to sit and really enjoy and spend time with these characters but those are our thoughts on i am Groot. if you've checked out this original series on disney plus definitely hit us up and let us know what you think with that being said going to go ahead and transition to our next series and talk about part two of season six of better call saul you ever feel like you're being followed Well, you know what they say, the wicked flee when no man pursueth. You think we're wicked? The days of Who's here to see Saul Goodman? guy, right? What guy's that? Salamanca's guy. Are you building a case against Jimmy? I'm just getting warmed up. what we're doing. Except for us. Whatever happens next. It's not gonna go down the way you think it is. Now, this series is created by Vince Gilligan and Peter Gould, and it's starring Bob Odenkirk, Jonathan Banks, Ray Seahorn, Patrick Fabian, Michael Mando, Tony Dalton, and Giancarlo Esposito. 
So earlier this year, just a few weeks ago, really, I talked about part one of season six of Better Call Saul, ran and raved about it because I had, for the first time, binged the entire series in anticipation for the final season. I wanted to make sure that I was caught up. And so I got a chance to binge the first five seasons leading into season six, watch that first part. It ended on an incredibly shocking cliffhanger that was totally unforeseen by my by my eyes and by, I think, a lot of the people who watched the show. So I was eagerly anticipating for these final set of episodes, the final six episodes that were that was going to close out the series. And ultimately, I'm just here to talk about part two, but really focus on the series finale since it just aired on AMC. And this is just, it's no other way to put it. This is just extraordinary work. Peter Gould and Vince Gilligan and what they did with the show and really what's been done with the entire Albuquerque saga as a whole mm-hmm. is just in a league of its own at this point for me because this is one of the most perfect series finales that I've ever witnessed. I, I I really cannot pick anything out from the series finale that I disliked that didn't work for me. I think from where the show has ended up over the past few weeks, especially with this season in particular and where the character of Jimmy McGill slash Saul Goodman is gone. Mm -hmm. The series finale here was just pitch perfect and it caught me so off guard because it is very, very different than I think what we're accustomed to. Fans of Breaking Bad, people who've watched Breaking Bad know that that show has a place in the pantheon of great TV series. And they know that a large part of that is because the final season and really the final episodes stuck the landing. When you Mm -hmm. talk about Ozymandias, when you talk about Granite State or Felina, those final three episodes, Mm -hmm. you just look Mm -hmm. back at that and say like, Jesus Christ, they ended this show in such a satisfying way and for the character of Walter White and the way that you know things ended for that character in that series you're just like this makes 100% sense and then you come to Better Call Saul and you experience this show and they take it in a completely different direction because the way that these final episodes ended I I couldn't have predicted but ultimately looking back on the experience as a whole it was absolutely necessary because it's not only the closing chapter for the character of Jimmy McGill Saul Goodman in this show but this is really the end of an era for the Albuquerque saga that we've gotten over the past 15 years, whether you're talking about Breaking Bad or El Camino or now Breaking, Mm -hmm. or excuse me, Better Call Saul, this is a tapestry of series and a movie that is really just unlike anything else that's ever been achieved on TV. And I think it's really one of the greatest achievements that we've ever seen. And, And what they did in the series finale from the shocking revelations, from cameo appearances of people that come back from the past that appear in the show, to the meditative sort of complex sort of examination of what these characters have been through, the sense of regret that exists and just how they wrap up everything. I'm just, I'm knocked out and astounded that they did it again. They literally did it again and I couldn't have predicted and hoped for anything better. And I'm just so impressed with everybody involved here, especially Bob Odenkirk as this character and for what he was able to do and how he was able to transform this mm-hmm. this person that we've been, you know, dealing with and living with for so long now, the better part of 15 years and what Saul Goodman was in Breaking Bad to where he is now with Jimmy McGill and Saul Goodman and even Gene, the other character, the other persona to this to this individual. It's just a 180 and you mm-hmm. have a new understanding of who he is and why things ended up the way that they ended up for him, but for everybody else around him as well mm-hmm. within this universe. And overall, it, it was just so wholly satisfying for me. We knew ahead of this that there were going to be returning characters, most notably, obviously, Walter White, Jesse Pinkman were going to come back and be a part of this season. I think the way that they were used here, brilliant, and it made sense because it only informed everything that we were seeing. And and ultimately, for me, this is kind of just, this series finale was kind of the coda of, of, of everything we've witnessed up until this point. And I think for people who were friends of Breaking Bad that haven't checked this out yet, it's a must-see. You have to see it. Like, yes, Breaking Bad is a story that can exist 
on its own in isolation. It has a beginning, middle, and end, absolutely. But you have to see this because it reframes the way you watch Breaking Bad, like mm-hmm. in every sense of the word. And Peter, Good, Peter, Peter Gould, excuse me, and Vince Gilligan said that that would be the case. And I'm like, well, how different am I really going to look at Breaking Bad after watching this? Oh, no, they meant it. They meant it <laughs> on more than one level, too. It's, it's, it's multiple things that you will look now look at that series differently because of the information that's been provided here. And uh, mm-hmm. the biggest thing, again, not getting into any details, not spoiling anything, the biggest change and the biggest difference that I think people will see as they go through the experience of watching Better Call Saul is how integral he is to everything and how much of a he's kind of a nexus point to everything mm-hmm. that's happened within this entire saga, whether it's the story about Walter White and what he did with Jesse Pinkman and Breaking Bad to even now with his own series like he is so integral to everything and every moving piece. And I, again, I think that the way that they ended it was just phenomenal. And I couldn't have I couldn't have wanted anything better. It was literally a perfect finale for me. Wow, man, I this nothing but praises across the board. I seen some other, uh, uh, of course, big, you know, publishers and, and, and companies talking about really the same thing that you're talking about. It's so hard to get a, a satisfying finale to anything <laughs> that it's 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 really crazy. But that's always the hardest thing to do. Right. How do we finish Game of Thrones? One of my favorite shows ever. Rocky Landing, <laughs> you know, what I mean? like, to say the least. And, and, and it's always interesting to see how, again, some of the best shows ever are the ones that just knew how to end it. You know what I mean? A lot of lot. There's a lot of good shows out there. There's a reason there's pilots and shows go past the pilot. Clearly, it was good. <laughs> you know what I mean? But to, to say that you maintain some type of consistency and could finish says a ton. Um, man, it's, it's it's really great to hear. I cannot wait to watch it. I'm going to again, I'm going to rewatch Breaking Bad one first and then uh, re, and then watch uh, Better Call Saul. And I got to get into it. So kind of a, a side note. I think it's really funny. So Multiverses, the game just came out, right? There's a campaign of this dude on twitter who wants walter white to be in the game it is the funniest (laughs) thing ever bro like i cannot imagine walter white versus bugs bunny in anything like that is just sounds like the wildest shit ever um by the way black adam in stripes from gremlins is soon to be in that game too which is really cool but man uh uh, again hearing that 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 better call saw ended like this i could have never imagined because i just remember when it first came out i was like oh okay cool cool little spin-off i never watched it but i was like wait Season two's happening? Wait, season three's happening? You know what I mean? Like, it just can't. I was like, hmm. But but also, AMC has always kind of existed in this, its own little pocket of greatness. You know what I mean? Um, again, Breaking Bad and The Walking Dead, bro. Come on. These are, like, two of the greatest things that you've ever heard. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, in, in your life. And so, hearing that, that that kept going, I knew there had to be some validity to it. And hearing you, again, talk to show up the way you have been, I'm, I'm just excited to get into it uh, eventually, man. So, it's all, all good things. No doubt about it. I mean, this show had probably the most unenviable task in terms of being a prequel to what many consider to be the greatest television show ever made in Breaking Bad, mm-hmm. if not one of the greatest, right? Like to follow that up and then to do so so successfully and to do so to a degree in which many people say like, damn, Better Call Saul is just as good as Breaking Bad. And sometimes occasionally it's better. It does some things absolutely mm-hmm. better. I have to say, I think as a series finale, just one episode, yeah. I think that this series finale is better than the series finale of Breaking Bad. This has an advantage because it can, it can contextualize everything we've seen before. <laughs> it has right. all 15 years, all 125 episodes, a movie that it can contextualize mm-hmm. now. Breaking Bad didn't have that at that time. But this is a better series finale than I think Felina was. And the degree of difficulty in what they did here is just, I, I really can't fathom it. I 
I'm thinking about prequels as I'm talking about this, and it, this might be the best prequel anything we've ever gotten. Like, mm-hmm. the Star Wars prequels didn't do it. What other prequels really have done it so successfully out there? And you can count certain things as prequels, like maybe Godfather 2 is like, pre- it has a prequel element. The whole movie's not a prequel, but it's it's like kind of, some yeah. of it's a prequel, That's right? I, yeah. You know, I think, I think that might have an asterisk next to it, but it's like a pure standalone property that's meant to serve as like the preceding story to what you've already seen Mm -hmm. this is up there and i I, i'm really kind of just at a loss for words for what it's what it's been able to do and the last thing that i'll just quickly say for anybody who wants to get really creative and crazy with the watch order because for some reason fans like to do this like they did this whole crazy thing with the star wars watch order people had these weird timeline things with the mcu watch order like oh how Mm. you should really be watching it do not watch this first and then watch Breaking Bad. Don't do that shit. Don't do it. Watch Breaking Bad, watch El Camino, and watch Better Call Saul in, in the way that they were released, in the way that we were intended to watch them, and I guarantee you it's going to be a better experience for you. Now, if you've seen them once before and you want to switch it up in the future, so be it. I still think it's a little weird, but I think the way to watch this is literally the way that they were released. Breaking Bad first, all five seasons of that followed by the El Camino movie, which, you know, came out on Netflix a few years ago, and then these six seasons of Better Call Saul, and you're going to get literally one of the finest examples of television we've ever seen, and I can't say really more than that about it. So those are my thoughts on Better Call Saul season six and the series finale as a whole. So if you've seen this, definitely hit us up and let us know what you think. That being said, let's go ahead and transition to our final CV series that we're going to review this week, the brand new Amazon Prime video series, Paper Girls. Hey! What's your name? Aaron, Tiff. So you're Mac, right? So? So I'm um, the first paper boy around here. Who was it? A boy? You must be the Brandman kid. KJ. My dad says you people own everything. You people? She's new. All right, Big Mac. Let's go. I'm not gonna, like, bite you or something. This guy look like that. Move, move, move! Let's get out of here! Hey! Who's there? What are you doing in my house? What what are you doing in my house? I live here. No, I live here. That's her. Holy shit. This is a psychotic break. Twelve-year-old version of yourself broke into your house with her punk friends? If that really is future you, maybe she can call someone. Who's she gonna call? Time travel 911. Do you want to call 911? Oh, good lord, there are future robots. We need help. I might know someone. Your girls traveled out of their time. That's a capital offense. You're in targets now. It's nice knowing you, I guess. We can't just give up. You don't know who you're about to become. Future me will know how to get us home. But you have no idea what's at stake here. Yeah, yeah, it's the fate of humanity. I get it. This right here is the end of the universe. We're paper girls, so we stick together. Future you is not all that bad. She did give you that rad shirt, which says dumb on it.
Now, this series is created by Stephanie Folsom and it's starring Cameron Jones, Riley Lye, Nellett, Sophia Rosinski, Fina Straza, and Adina Porter. And of course, this is based on the comic book series of the same name that debuted a few years ago. And so Amazon Prime just rolled out the first season of Paper Girls and just premiered. And I know you got a chance to check this out. I've not watched this yet, so I'll pass it over to you. What do you think so far about Paper Girls? Yeah, man, Paper Girls is another comic book I've, I've always known about, but only have read again only the first couple couple comics of it um and and i I was looking forward into into coming uh uh, coming into watching this because paper girls always had like a really cool style to it and uh again just artistically i was like i love this um and the girls were so different and so in, in in watching this i was excited to see one the girls that they picked for the cast and two, I was I was interested to see kind of the the, the tone and, and the way this this would look um, by the time I got to Amazon Prime. So in, in getting to check it out, man, I have to say I'm, I'm pleasantly uh, not surprised, but I'm, I'm very happy with what we've, I've gotten here out of Paper Girls, man. And it's very true to the few comics I have read of Paper Girls. Um, and man, when I say the cast of the four girls are killing it, they have to. It's, it's really them. This is Paper Girls. Sure, it's a comic book, but to be honest, all the comic-y stuff about it is in the background. <laughs> and that's kind of what makes it so cool. It's like, okay, we're going to put these four girls in this TV show, and they're just going to have to act their asses off. That's what they have to do. And 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 we really get that out of them, man. They're really killing it the entire time. Um, there is, of course, there's some comic booky stuff about it. If, if those who don't know, Paper Girls is about four girls. They all have different kind of paper routes in uh in, in this in this very small town and one day on halloween in 1988 they kind of on their delivery route they come into contact with these like time travelers and end up time traveling themselves and so that's pretty much what it's about i don't i won't spoil anything past that but just know that there is there's a lot of sci-fi here and what's interesting about it is because it's 1988 right it has a it already has the feel of 1980s that we've been watching so much, right? All of the Stranger Things, Wonder Woman 84, you name it. It, ha- it has it in there. And I actually love that about it low-key because I feel like if you've watched Stranger Things, it's no Stranger Things. Let's start there. It, it just, it just, it's no Stranger Things. <laughs> get that out the way. <laughs> Let's get that out the way. But I think if you like Stranger Things and you're looking for, you love those character moments between the different characters, then you'll really like Paper Girls because that's what Paper Girls is without the upside down you know what I mean? like there's other things going on but it's 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 a little less crazy in that sense again this sure there's still a ton of stuff going on these girls are time traveling and they do not want to be there <laughs> this is all an accident but um in in, the, in their interactions man there's just so much to like about it in 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 the relationships that they have with each other and some crazy things that you'll you know you find out in the show that they have to deal with one of the things that I actually do like about this too is the time travel rules aren't like the most laid out. And I, I kind of like that about it because there, of course we've been talking about time travel a lot too, but between back to the future and like Avengers Endgame and stuff like that, you don't have to think too much. It's like, just let it, they just kind of let it go. They're like, this is girls of time travel. You know what I mean? Like let's not too th- think too hard about it because there's more important things to think about than how time travel works here. That's not what it's about. It's about these girls getting home. And I love how they, they can, you know, um, kind of have conversations with that versus, okay, how do we get back? Or, you know what I'm saying? Like, of course there's rules, 
but it's not the same kind of rules that we've been getting um, out of all those other properties. And so uh, uh, I like that about it too, man. Um, the only thing I, I think it'll happen in the, in, in future seasons. The My only gripe with this really is the budget they were given. There's some stuff that, I don't know. It's like, man, it looks a little clunky. You know what I mean? For a comic book TV show, it's like, man, did y'all have to make it look like that? It could have looked better. Um, and I think because Paper Girls already isn't, like the most famous comic, right? It's no Sandman, you know what I'm saying? Um, but it, it, I think they they wanted to test the waters before they gave the show the 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 love money wise that it deserves. And so I'm hoping that season two, um, which the season one has a great cliffhanger, it's like, oh shit, where are we gonna go from here? Uh, I, I'm hoping that they get the budget that they deserve. Um, th- again, the the cast is great. The character interactions are great. And really, man, I'm just looking forward to more. Uh, and they need to do it fast. These girls are growing up real fast, right? Just like Stranger Things. It's like paper girls are paper girls. But these girls, they're teenagers, man. They, they're going to grow up quick. So I'm hoping development moves fast so we can get these stories out the door, man. I have to shout out specifically the young black girl in this. Her name is uh, Cameron Jones. She plays Tiffany Quilkin in the show. I may be biased about this because she's a young black girl. And I'm rooting for everybody black. But she's she's just really good to me, man. I think there's there's just moments where she's looking at the camera a certain way. You know what? I can't even I can't even just give it to her because they're all that good. Um, there's an, another girl, Sophia Rosinski, who plays Mac. Boy, oh boy. I'm to be honest, she she might be the star. Um, just because of the things that she has to go through in the show that makes it different. But really, these girls are all bouncing off each other and really becoming just I don't know. It's it's like they're, they are friends in the show, but they're also, uh, acting-wise, it feels like they're competitors sometimes. It's like, how can I be better than you in this moment as we're talking to each other? And so I also love that about the show, that competitiveness, man. So, again, I, I very much enjoyed it. Um, and, and I hope other people get to check this out. Again, it's really low-key. It's really under the radar. But I think with enough word um, that people can can start to watch it, really short watch. I think it's uh, eight episodes, about, probably about an hour each, I think. Some of them are like 45 to 35 to 45 i think but i I just started rounding up at this point to be honest (laughs) so let's go with 45 minute episodes (laughs) um all in all uh so yeah yeah you know time traveling stories are really popular right now um even in tv you know we we've had a lot of stuff happen with low-key or like doctor Mm -hmm. who is still super popular Uh, wheel of time i know was like watched by a lot of people so i'm always kind of in for that type of story just because they're fun you know you can do things that obviously we physically cannot do it's a really fantastical and imaginative element and so to even hear that they're not focusing on the rules that much is also a little bit of a relief because sometimes you don't need to do that because one time travel is not real folks so what rules (laughs) (laughs) we're making these up as we go um and two there's other more important things that you can spend your time and sort of distribute you know what what real estate you're going to do with the story whether it be character development or story development whatever the case may be um and it sounds like really exciting you know we're also seeing a lot of stories with like kids in peril and kids on bikes and kids in neighborhoods right you know we just talked about the black phone and stranger things and it like a lot of young children you know being able to experience these crazy wacky events as they're coming of age can also be really fun if done well and it sounds like that this is the case here so it's definitely something i want to check out and want to want to give some opportunity to amazon is also i think getting into some very interesting territory with what comics they're choosing to adapt you know they're not mm. 
they obviously can't really lean into the Marvel or DC bag because those are owned by other companies. And so they're, they're kind of going into these lesser known properties that might not have gotten a lot of shine in their initial runs. They have their fan bases, of course, but they're able to take these and blow them up in a you know bigger capacity mm -hmm. and, and have having a big, a bigger audience find them. And we've already seen that with the boys, obviously invincible, you know, followed up right behind that. And now paper girls is a new addition to, to what they're doing with these comic adaptations. So yeah, yep. yeah, exactly. Leaning definitely into that. So it'll be, it'll be curious to see where paper girls goes from here, but we'll have to check that out as more seasons and more episodes come. But those are our thoughts on the brand new series, paper, paper girls. If you've seen this on Amazon prime video, definitely hit us up and let us know what you think. And that being said, we're done with our reviews. So we should transition and talk about the news of the week, which means of course we have to talk about Ezra Miller and the flash, which is a constantly developing story, something we haven't visited in a while now, because if we really did visit it often, we would probably be talking about Ezra Miller every week, and I don't want to necessarily do that. <laughs> um, so it's best to just kind of wait until things pass over and we get a nice chunk of new information to digest and really sort of analyze, and we have. And it's interesting because things have developed. If we recorded this at our normal time, we would not have seen what would initially ultimately end up happening with Ezra Miller over the past couple of days. But before we get there, I do want to start off with the news that came out last week. There was a Hollywood Reporter article that outlined the options that Warner Brothers Discovery has been weighing as it relates to the Flash movie. And it ultimately came down to three options that they saw as the path forward. We know over the past couple of years, Ezra Miller has been involved in many, many controversies, um, especially as they have been over in Hawaii and across the country and different interactions that they have had with other people. There's just been a lot of controversy. And so people have been kind of confused about the status of the Flash movie because with somebody who is doing such abhorrent behavior, how could your lead star ever promote this movie? And who would really ultimately want to go see it to support them? But ultimately, Warner Brothers has sort of been weighing their options in terms of what to do. And I don't think any of these three are necessarily surprising. This is probably the three most likely outcomes of it all, but I'll just quickly go through them. And the first option that was weighed is that, you know, after seeking professional help, Miller could ultimately give an interview that at some point would explain their erratic behavior over the past few years, which would have them still, you know, maintain their, their association with the film and possibly still do some minimal press, maybe not the full press run, but do minimal press after an apology is given and professional help is sought out. The second option was that Warner Brothers could still release the film, but remove Miller from any marketing or publicity for the film. And Miller would also not be the Flash going forward in any future projects, and the role would ultimately be recast. This was the option that I saw as the most likely. I thought that at the current state that we are in, this yes. is probably the most likely to happen. <laughs> and the final option um, was that if the situation with Ezra Miller were to deteriorate, Warner Brothers would strongly consider killing the movie outright as it could be ultimately reshot with an entirely different actor. So what's interesting about this is that earlier this week, Ezra Miller finally came out and spoke about their actions and what they've been doing over the past couple of years. The first time we've really heard from Ezra Miller in quite a long time as we've just been sitting by and observing. And we have seen that Ezra Miller has committed to seeking professional help, seeking mental treatment for their erratic behavior and ultimately gave a statement to Variety, I believe it was, and I'll go ahead and read that statement quickly. Ezra Miller said this, quote, having recently gone through a time of intense crisis, I now understand that I am suffering complex mental health issues and have begun ongoing treatment. I want to apologize to everyone that I have alarmed and upset with my past behavior. I'm committed to doing the necessary work to get back to a healthy, safe, and productive stage in my life, end quote. So with that new context added, that would actually lean closer to option one. 
seeking professional help. Ezra Miller could give some sort of sit-down interview, maybe explain everything that's been going on, and then possibly have a minimal part in the publicity and the rollout of this film. There's still a lot that has to happen. The movie doesn't come out for another year, so we'll have to see if that's the case. Things could still deteriorate. Although Miller has said that they're going to seek medical <laughs> treatment, we don't know if that's actually going to follow through and be the case over the coming weeks and months. Things could change very much quickly, as we have seen them over the past few years. Um, but with all of this out there now, with all of this said, what, what are your overall thoughts about just the state of Ezra Miller and what they've been through and what it looks like they might go through in the near future with seeking mental treatment? What are your thoughts about the status of the Flash movie and what WB should ultimately do with this project moving forward? Yeah, starting with Ezra Miller, I think they have, you know, it, I'm all for apologies and, and understanding of mental health overall for sure um and, and in doing an apology even so far he has said everyone i have alarmed and upset with my past behavior i'm hoping they come out and they say more <laughs> I, I apologize to the people i've hurt <laughs> held at knife point robbed um the cult that i may have started the people the woman i might have choked out oh, the grooming I, of the a grooming, young girl. I mean, there's a lot that needs to, I think, needs to be said on the line. Um, because one, as a as a white person, they already. Have, I just can't imagine if a black person was to do the, all these things that Ezra Miller has done. Right? We'd be in a completely different place in life. Will Will Smith smacks somebody and gets blackballed. And we're even questioning if Ezra Miller is potentially going to return as the Flash. That is, I'm sorry, that you can't say that's equivalent in any form or fashion. Um, it just blows my mind that we are even talking about this. That being said, when it comes to the Flash, I think, one, the first one just needs to happen regardless. The first bullet point um, that Warner Brothers is preparing for scenarios needs to happen regardless of the second or the third bullet point. Ezra Miller needs to, one, seek professional help, but also conduct these interviews, I think, um, explaining their erratic behavior, you know, over these past couple years. Because, it, I, again, I think it's one thing to apologize, but you knew what you were doing. Like, even in a mental capacity, like, we know how, uh, this is a terrible um, explanation, probably, or a terrible analogy, but... Kanye, we know he goes manic and he does things. He has never physically hurt anybody. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and he's he's a big star. You know what I'm saying? We know he can go on his his tangents and things. He has never hurt. He's never gotten to that point. And so, of course, there's things wrong with Ezra Miller. But they're now in a place where, yeah, I, I just think they still need to be held accountable for their actions and, 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 and of course, seek mental asylum. But at the same time, they, they need to be held accountable for their actions because there are other people who are, I'm sure, going to through very similar complex mental issues, quote unquote, who aren't doing the things that they're doing. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so I, I'm, I'm hoping that Ezra doesn't get some slap on the wrist because they decided to come and apologize. You know what I mean? Like, I, I just have a feeling, because, again, as a white person, I have a feeling that's exactly what's going to happen. But I, I, I could be wrong about that, and I'm very much hoping I'm wrong about that. I think we discovered last week that, like, 
WB had already shot some stuff with Ezra recently. Like allegedly so. Allegedly, yeah. we're not a hundred percent on that. But without like really telling anybody, they were like, Yeah, some some reshoots might have happened. I'm like, what? I ain't, yeah. ain't saying nothing about that. Um, so I think that's interesting. But I will say I'm all for the movie releasing. I am, as long as Ezra is not Flash afterwards. I love that idea. That was literally my idea from the beginning before all this even went down. <laughs> You've been pitching this hard already. I've been pitching this before. We even, This is even in conversation. I wish they listened to me in the beginning. They, we wouldn't even be going through this. He would already die in the movie. And Wally West would be our new Flash. I think it's easy, to be honest. Because, <laughs> um, yeah, I just think it's easy. But... I, I, that is, that is definitely, um, the way I look at things, I think. Uh, but again, I think no matter what they do, I would very much love for, for Ezra Miller, do the interviews that you have to do, seek the asylum that you have to do. But, uh, it, it also depends on this, how the, what their re- this reset quote unquote looks like, right? Um, depending on if, if we should still get the film or not. Again, I'm all forward. If it's a good movie, it's a good movie. If it sets up things that helps the reset, if that makes sense, I'm all for it. But just recast, and I and I and I think we're fine. Um, and I think we can all understand, especially if these interviews come out and things come out. Nobody's going to have any questions. Everybody's like, "Yes, of course we recast." And I I think in my mind, it's it's easy peasy from there. So before we got the Ezra Miller apology earlier this week, did a little quick exercise on our Instagram, sent out a question: What should Warner Brothers do with the Flash? Every single response, except one, said scrap the film. Everybody said scrap the movie. Just get rid of it. Throw it in the trash. Throw it in the way. And then the one person who didn't say that said, just throw it on HBO Max. We don't need to go to the movies for this. (laughs) And I so disagree with that fundamentally to just get rid of the movie because, Mm -hmm. yes, Ezra Miller's behavior is unacceptable and there's no excuse for it, even if there are mental issues present there, even if there's alcoholism there because alcohol has been wrapped up into pretty much all of these things as well. And I think that's been a big factor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Warner Brothers should have handled this a long time ago. There was a whole video that came out two years ago of the physical altercation between him and a woman. And we should have addressed it there. But now it's snowballed into just unprecedented territory, stuff that we really have not experienced before with the lead star of a big giant Paul movie. That being said, though Ezra Miller is the lead star, the titular character, there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, maybe even thousands of other people that worked on this movie. And the same empathy that we want to have for a bad girl movie that just got canned mm-hmm. and will never see the light of day, I think that same empathy should be applied to a Flash movie that's even more expensive and yeah. even bigger budget and has more people working on it. Like, selfishly, yes, I want to see the movie because I want to see Michael Keaton as Batman. Who wouldn't yes, want to see that? Absolutely. But in addition to that, people have been working long and hard on this movie. This movie has... I mean, it's been through everything. It was supposed to come out years ago. It got announced mm-hmm. when the Flash TV show had its series premiere almost a decade ago. So I just want to see this movie, and I think all the hard work that's been put into it should be seen, ultimately. Now, with that out the way, Ezra Miller, being the centerpiece of this all, should absolutely get recast. And I think that it's going to happen. I really do. I don't think Warner Brothers is going to bring Ezra Miller back for anything after this. I really believe that they're going to go ahead and wipe the slate clean, even with the apology tour that's probably impending even with the rationale for why they did these things i think Mm -hmm. that a recasting is 
all but inevitable at this point. I'd be shocked if they decided to keep Ezra Miller around after this. Because even even if over the next year, because a year's a long time, a lot can happen it in is. a year. Let's say Ezra Miller has a 180 and goes and seeks medical treatment, comes out and seems really, really in a different place than where they've been over the past couple of years. And, and Hollywood loves a true comeback story. Even with all that said, there's just still this unnecessary baggage mm-hmm. as a company that I don't think Warner Brothers... Warner Brothers and and DC even more specifically needs to be carrying around. They have a lot of other shit that they could be dealing with. This does not help, you know. And there's always going to be people that just don't support him in this role, or excuse me, them in this role. So I think that ca- recasting is inevitable. Um, but in terms of the situations that I want to see play out, I, I think I think you still release the movie, and I still think that Ezra Miller should have a very minimal role in the in the rollout of it. Even if they get the help that they need, even if they go through the necessary steps to become a better person and to not do these horrific things, I still think that you keep Miller away from a lot of the marketing of the movie because it just still, even with like a little bit of time removed from all these scenarios, it's still going to feel, I think, a little weird, especially to the to the castmates that they'll have to travel with and be a part of mm-hmm. these interviews with and sit next to. It's just is a weird dynamic to me, you know. And I recognize Ezra Miller is a human being at the end of the day, you know. Mm-hmm. I I do have empathy that there's probably a lot of complex stuff going on there that I don't understand. Everybody is battling something that we have no idea about, right? And so there's a certain level of empathy I have there, but still doesn't excuse hurting other people, which Ezra Miller has done physically, has literally hurt other people. And that's just not okay. So I think there has to be some consequences. There has to be something that's implemented that that just doesn't allow this behavior to just be accepted and okay. And I think I think removing Ezra Miller from the marketing and just taking him away from that aspect of the of the publicity and the rollout is a step to doing so. But allowing the movie to come out and then ultimately recasting the role and moving forward there but it's a, it's a tricky situation obviously and mm-hmm. you know I, I it can it can change you know really within a week you know if, it seems like at a time for like the past like two months we were getting like a new Ezra Miller story like every week and that was like damn like that's crazy that's crazy that's really troubling you know going from state to state country to country doing all this stuff hopefully that does not happen now um but we do have like an entire year to go until the release of this movie so don't want to get ahead of ourselves but I think with all the information that we have now Let's just hope that things do get better. Let's hope that people have been haven't been affected in the worst ways possible and that Ezra Miller does get the get the help that they needed, but ultimately that, you know, we can recognize like there should be some consequences to this stuff because it's been it's been two years of just unruly behavior and that's just not okay. So we'll have to see. Another news item in the world of DC, Black Adam. I thought that this was interesting. It's not necessarily a news item, but it came out of Vanity Fair, which just published an article about the Black Adam movie, upcoming starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson, of course. And a little, a little bit of light was shed on just the development of this movie and just kind of the rationale for why it exists. Many people don't even know Black Adam as a character. Black Adam is not mm-hmm. a super popular character within the DC Comics canon. Has a relatively long history, but again, not a premier A-list character. Has been an anti-hero and a villain for quite a few years now. Has played somewhat of an integral part in certain stories, but again, one of their C-list characters, I would say, in, in comparison to other people that we've seen on screen. And so, in this interview with Vanity Fair, Dwayne Johnson, obviously the star playing Black Adam, he explained that he really fought to keep the character out of the Shazam movie that we got a few years ago to avoid doing a disservice to the character. And we know that that Shazam movie does not have Black Adam. They do allude to the character in that movie, but it does not feature Black Adam in that film in any prominent way. And that was to essentially give the limelight to Shazam as a character. And Dwayne Johnson actually found the article and quote tweeted it and said this quote 100 percent true original script had both black adam and shazam 
establishing their own origin stories in one film. I fought hard for both characters, plus the JSA, to have their own standalone films for the fans to enjoy and protect Black Adam's ruthless and extremely violent tone as we build out hashtag DCEU. Of course, this pissed some people off. I think that this is actually quite a funny <laughs> story because of the dissenting opinions on both sides. And it's kind of caught the attention of not only just a lot of spectators who just witnessed this and saw like, well, why? Black Adam is, is the main villain of Shazam. Why not include that character in the movie? But it even caught the attention of Rob Liefeld, who is, you know, most known to have created Deadpool as a character who's enjoying tremendous success in, in the movies now. Also, X-Force, other characters. Rob Liefeld chimed in and said, quote, been reading comics for 48 years. Black Adam had no significant presence or stature in DC's history prior to The Rock turning his gaze on him. Not a, criti not a criticism, a simple fact, end quote. So I've seen a lot of opinions. Some fall on the side of wow, what an ego The Rock has. He just wanted to have a movie for himself and he wanted to <laughs> give Black Adam the limelight so that he can just have another star vehicle to really hog for himself. And then I've seen other people say like, oh, that makes sense. You can't really have the Black Adam character who's ruthless and violent and probably even kills. How do you, how do you juxtapose that with the lighthearted tone of Shazam that we got? What's interesting here is that I think we both really liked the Shazam movie that came out a few years ago. So mm -hmm. it did fine. Financially, it probably could have done better. Maybe the yeah. inclusion of Black Adam could have helped with that. And maybe the inclusion of The Rock could have helped with that. We don't really know how Black Adam is going to turn out because we haven't seen that movie yet. So we have to you know, still hold out a little bit of uh, opinion and judgment based on the, the, the incoming release of that film. But I think it's interesting to see how fans are falling on the opposite sides of these things. I did pull a couple of funny tweets that I thought I just want to quickly read really quickly. Um, again, a lot of people did not really support The Rock saying this and thought that this was <laughs> you know, sort of a... a uh, another another example of just how massive his ego may in fact be one one user said uh, this was at the Snyderverse quote who told the rock that Black Adam was anything more than a secondary characters secondary character end quote my goodness <laughs> at the JC Green said quote I think he's literally too afraid to lose in a fight on camera end quote <laughs> at the quiver underscore said it's a disservice to put Black Adam in a Shazam movie rather than his own but it's not a disservice to put the JSA in a Black Adam movie rather than their own, end quote. Mm. I thought that was actually yeah, quite telling. That that's, was a, that's, that's profound right there. That was actually kind of a good, <laughs> a, 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 good, a good thing to, to point out. Let's just, you know, keep that in mind. But not everybody agrees. Not everybody's angry at The Rock for saying this. There, there are some people who support it. At We Build Mex said, quote, This will be a hard pill for some to swallow, but The Rock pressuring WB into introducing Black Adam separately from Shazam worked out, and it resulted in a widely beloved origin movie for Billy. If Black Adam connects, then The Rock will have pulled off something never done before, end quote. So again, a lot of opinions across the board about this. What do you make of this? What do you think about the decision to split up these two characters, do two separate movies? And the plan is to ultimately bring them together. I think The Rock has even noted that. Like, one day, it's likely that they'll two come together in one movie. But what do you think about the choice to do this? Again, we have Shazam, and we can look at that and say, like, yes, that, that turned out to work. Black Adam, we don't really quite know yet, but what do you think about this move and just how it shapes out with the future of these particular characters in DC? Yeah, man, I think there's there's a lot to, to think about here. It's crazy how I think fast people go to the defense of either side, you know? Um, but in, in thinking about it, uh, it's hard to also take away anybody's opinion <laughs> about any of this because it could all just be, you know, very valid. I think first and foremost, again, talking about that, that Shazam movie, man, we like it a lot. I love the attention given to Billy Batson as a character because he was such in not only in, in up and coming 
uh, uh, character in the DCEU, but he, the very same thing was happening um, for Shazam in the in the DC animated world. You know what I mean? There was in the later episodes of Justice League, in freaking Superman, Shazam, the Return of Black Adam. I forgot when that movie came out, like a 2010 or something like that. I, in my mind, like parts of this upcoming, whenever they do meet Black Adam and Shazam, a lot of a lot of uh, their their interaction will be pulled from that movie, you know what I mean? And I I think it's interesting though because they are they do have such a similar uh, uh, origin story that it it makes sense for them to be in the same film. But I also it, it would have taken away so much of the original Shazam if Black Adam had been there. One of the things that we love, uh, you know, that I love about that movie is the familyness of it all, the unknownness of it all. There is no really superstars in in Shazam. And I also think that's part of what makes it good. You know what I mean? And so part of me thinks that if what The Rock says is true, and he really did call WB, I'm like, man, you. I think you killed it. You made them make a, a Shazam movie that now people actually know the origin of Billy Batson, who that character is, because I can imagine The Rock is in Shazam. We wouldn't even be talking about Shazam. We'd be like, Shazam, would we even be talking about Fury of the Gods? You know what I mean? Would we have gotten, I don't even know if we've gotten the, the Marvel family, the Shazam family. You know, I don't know if we would have gotten a lot of these different things had The Rock been in it. On the other side, we have a, a Black Adam movie coming up. You know, Rob Layfield says, been reading comics for 48 years. Black Adam had no significant presence in DC's history prior to The Rock. I just named a whole movie where <laughs> freaking Black Adam is the is the villain. You know, not saying he was like huge in the in actual comics or any of but we knew who Black Adam was. Black Adam was also one of the most popular characters in uh in Injustice, too. He was one of the most broken characters in the game. And I'm not saying that makes him a super prominent character but we can't act like he was a nobody you know what i'm saying this dude has always been really cool um in his own right but he's never been given the chance and i think that's my thing out of all this is like well why don't you just give black adam a chance just like we're giving other characters a chance you know what i'm saying we are making well not anymore but we were making a batgirl movie and a blue beetle movie but if blue beetle and batgirl can at least get nods why can't black adam get a nod too you know what i'm saying i i, I love that about it i love that tweet that talks about the jsa but what if that was also the plan the entire time was black adam introduces the jsa jsa gets their own movie you know what i'm saying like what if that's always been kind of lingering in the background uh, but i don't know i'm of i'm of kind of all minds here um, when it when it comes to these statements, but I, I see the pros and cons of everything. And so it's hard for me to really pick a side, but I'm still in favor of characters getting their own movies because we've seen it. We've seen it be proven. That it can make sense for them. Guardians of the Galaxy, it made sense for them. People didn't even like Ant-Man. Ant-Man, literally, the Wasp came up with the name Avengers in the comics. We didn't see them until phase two. You know what I'm saying? Or like. It, I don't know. It's just weird to that, that that we're talking about it in this light when we've seen it work in other avenues of characters who weren't necessarily in the limelight either at the time. And so that's kind of the, the way I'm thinking about it right now, man. But man, I to me, The Rock is doing a service to WB. He, sure, like you said, he may not. He, if he was in the original Shazam, he might have. Sure, it might have made more money. But we got a really good movie out of it. Imagine Black Adam is good. You got one really good movie. And possibly another decent movie. 
with now you have this behemoth that is Black Adam. Again, if if this movie isn't coming out, Black Adam's not in multiverses that I just talked about that he's coming out soon. You know what I mean? Like he's he's literally making marketing opportunities and things are coming out of it. Would JSA have been brought up if Black Adam wasn't doing this? You know what I'm I don't know. It just feels like we're missing some of the, the I don't know, like the opportunities that maybe low key The Rock might have presented. And I'm not saying he's not trying to be like, okay, I can be this character and create this whole thing myself. Of course that could be part of it. He's a freaking movie superstar. Any movie superstar would be looking to, you know, helm, I think, a character like this. But I also think he might have seen multiple positives in it um, in that way. But I could be wrong about that. I don't know. I'm not The Rock. (laughs) Uh, But those are kind of my initial thoughts. Yeah, I think to Rob Liefeld's point, more specifically, he was pointing to the comics because like Black Adam hasn't had a legitimate like run in the comics. Really, he has been yeah. featured elsewhere, of course. Mm-hmm. But I think even with like other comparative characters, because people were bringing up like he, he he went on to expound it a little bit more. People were bringing up Ant Man and have you know Ant Man has like a trilogy of movies at this point. Guardians of the Galaxy. These are characters that did have runs though. You know mm-hmm. they they did have significant runs in the comics. I and so I think he was more so pointing to that element. Um, it specifically Ooh, right. in comic books, mm-hmm. which I totally get that too. Um. Um, what I was going to pivot and just quickly say, one, if you don't think The Rock has ego, you're silly. He absolutely has ego. Of course. He's a wrestler. He comes from a world of ego. You have to have ego. And he <laughs> is one of the biggest movie stars in the world. He has a right to have ego. Like, he, he's earned that right as, as, as the earner that he is in Hollywood, as big of a superstar as he is. He has it. And we've seen it on display elsewhere. And so if, mm-hmm. if he decides, like... I want this to be my movie. I don't want to share the screen with another actor or another character. Then so be it. He has the stroke into which he can now do that. He paid his dues. He has his own production company. He's been active for 20 plus years at this point. So there should be no surprises or qualms about that. And we should just keep that real and upfront <laughs> about it. Um, it really doesn't matter the intention. You know, I think that that's just kind of the case and the, the facts of it at the end of the day. Now, with... The hypotheticals of it all, right? Like Shazam. What if what if The Rock was a part of Shazam 1? It would have made more money, absolutely. Would have been a better movie? We'll never know. Maybe, maybe not. I do think it's interesting we're in a time now where so many characters are getting these separate standalone stories and we're putting it to the test to see whether or not these things will be successful. Because mm-hmm. I remember a time when before a Venom movie came out, people said, well, that would never work without Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Here we are. And look at what happened. Money. Or when Joker was coming out, that'll never work without Batman. And Money. look what happened. Will that be the same case for Black Adam? Don't know. Maybe, maybe not. If Black Adam comes out and is not successful, then we can start to ask the question, well, maybe they should have just had them in the movie together. And that mm-hmm. could have showcased that the individual sums, the individual parts, I should say, are not necessarily greater than what the sum could have been. Mm-hmm. Um but on the opposite hand of that, like if Black Adam comes out and does amazing business, then you'll have to just look at The Rock and say like, well, it worked out. It was a good business move story wise and probably also even financially. I think we have to remember, too, that at the end of the day, the, the goal is to eventually get them to a place where they do meet up. You know, of he course. stated that and I think others have stated that. So it'll happen at, at, at a certain point. I wouldn't have put Black Adam in the first movie to begin with. I think that that's a second movie villain exactly. at the earliest. You know, so I mm-hmm. think the way that they wish which is am one is totally fine. And it, it worked begins. out. The Dark Knight. Exactly. Build up to the arch nemesis. Like actually give us some time to to live with the with the protagonist. Mm-hmm. Do the origin story for that character for Billy Batson. Give him the time that he needs. So that by the second movie, when you introduce a Black Adam, you can spend more time on that character. We've already exactly. met Billy Batson and we know the, the Shazam family. So if they went that route, I would have been a-okay with that too. Black Adam getting its own separate standalone movie, the jury's out on that. We just have to kind of wait and see. The JSA 
tweet that I just read off there. That's a very good point, though. I, I, mm-hmm. I will say that that person is on to something because if you want to apply that same rationale, the JSA absolutely could have their own movie, mm-hmm. you know, and they could have been on the flip side of it. The JSA could have been the protagonist and Black Adam could have been the antagonist. But listen, the JSA don't have The Rock. The Rock is The Rock, you know, <laughs> so whoever The Rock is playing is going to lead the movie. That Again, we just can't be silly about this. Like, we have to recognize, like, what it is. And, and, and if the movie ends up being good, who gives a fuck? Like, who cares? We have another great comic book movie that we can enjoy and say, like, damn, that really worked out. I can't wait till he meets up with Shazam and fights Shazam and hopefully one day Superman. Like, that's what we really want to see. Shazam versus Superman. Or, excuse me, Black Adam versus Superman. But, um, you know, ultimately, I think a lot of this, again, it's just hypothetical. I thought it was a fun conversation. I thought it was interesting. Yeah, people felt very strongly about this. You know, I, I, do, I do think that The Rock has... He has this thing where he kind of wants to come and take things for himself. You know, he continues to use certain language and he talks about like, yeah, we're going to build out the DCEU. We're going to build out the JSA. You know, he comes into franchises and he kind of makes his own little pocket and makes his own little lane. He's done a similar Mm -hmm. thing with the Fast and Furious. Like Hobbs and Shaw is like a completely separate thing now. I don't know what the future of that's going to be, but like it's not really Fast and Furious anymore. It's just like Hobbs and Shaw. And even in League of Super Pets and sorry, folks, spoilers, the movie's out. And he also released this, but... There's a Black Adam post credit scene in DC League of Super Pets. So it's like, that's the type of time he's on. So does he want his own sandbox to play in, separate from everything else? Absolutely. Is that the greatest thing ever? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Could it have been better to have everything coalesce into one big, gigantic movie with all pieces at play? Maybe. Um, but I, I think we just we, we have to see the movie at the end of the day. And once we see the movie and we can assess whether or not it worked or didn't work, and whether or not the tone made sense for what they were going for, then we'll have a better idea. But until then, we kind of have to reserve judgment until we get the final product. But we'll see. Black Adam comes out this October, and we will, of course, be talking about that movie. Our last news item of this week, we're getting a 10 Saw movie. They're doing it. Saw 10 is actually happening. We, we wow. live in a world with 10 Saw movies. They just dated it. It's going to come out October 27th, 2023. The most recent Saw movie, Spiral, starring Chris Rock and Samuel Jackson, came out last year. We saw that movie. Not the greatest, uh, you know, had some things going for, but definitely not the greatest movie, but provided, I guess, a little bit of a resurgence to the franchise, did something a little bit different than what they have been doing for the previous eight movies, and it made enough money. I guess it made enough to justify a 10th movie, but I never thought we would live in a reality with 10 Saw movies. I really, I'm kind of confused on how we got here, but they're doing it, Um, and one of the directors who's directed previous Saw entries is coming back, and so uh, they're moving ahead with this. 10 Saw movies, how do you feel about this? What do you think? Do we need it? Is it going to be good? James Wan, what have you done? Um, <laughs> I just cannot believe that this is happening again. Uh, uh, I, I'm really at a loss for words because <laughs> after Spiral, it just felt like, okay, we're done. We're good. We can every we can get out of here. Everyone high five. Saw had its run. But here we are, man. Um, even It's even crazy because... It didn't do great. <laughs> this isn't like a box office hit. It's not like a. I just can't. I don't know. I don't. I. I just don't understand. Does somebody have like a stroke of genius somewhere, and they just feel like they're about to come up with the best song movie ever? I think that's what they thought Spiral was, and it wasn't that. So I'm like just trying to figure out what's really happening here, man. Uh, uh, am I gonna watch it? Probably. I'm a Saw fan. I can't help it. <laughs> But like, why, why, just why? We don't have to do this. We don't have to do this. You don't have to purposely lose money. And I have a feeling that if there's not a hook 
you're just gonna lose money again. Like we just seen it in Spiral. What makes you think there's something else? I don't know there for you to latch on to. Um, the only thing I will say is that for some reason we refuse to come out with horror films in October now. I don't know what that is. Halloween has been doing it consistently, but even now this is about to be the last one. What does next year look like? Somebody was like, "Oh, Halloween's gonna end." Saw again. I don't know why that's the <laughs> why that's the the rationale, but. That's really a thing, though. I don't know why horror films are coming out in October anymore. Um, so I guess that's, I don't know. Maybe that's the plan. Maybe that's the play. I don't know what's going on. But, um, um, yeah, I'm just at a loss of words, bro. I don't know why we're doing this. Um, Ten movies is a lot of movies for one franchise. And uh, Saw has had, for me at least, diminishing returns every single time. Every, I mean, yeah. re- one and two, great. After mm-hmm. that gets a little murky, um, especially as you get into those middle <laughs> chapters, five and six, and like it, it just it, it's diminishing returns every single time out. You know, I, I appreciate it that they tried to do something a little bit different with Spiral. I, I knew what they were going for. It, the execution really just wasn't there. Um, it, it just it didn't land in all the places that I think it needed to. But it was an admirable choice to say like, okay, let's try to switch it up as much as possible because seven or excuse me, eight was really. Su- no, actually, seven was supposed to be the last one. And then they did Jigsaw. The final it, chapter. Yep. Yeah, they've, they've this is now the the third reboot, really, if the we're final, if we're being technical about it. Chapter. Mm-hmm. So I'm just like, wow, um, they, they won't let it go. Uh, and we know IP is valuable. You know, IP is the, the the most prized possession in Hollywood right now. Anything that's recognizable, that has a baked-in history and an audience, that's what they're going to go to first. I mean, this just has to be accepted and, and known at this point. But um, I, I, I would have at least it liked... I mean, I always knew more saw was going to come eventually, but I would have at least liked some time off, you know, to just, like, say, hey, let's just take six, seven, eight years to just like not touch this franchise let's do something different let's just leave saw let's you know allow an, allow enough people to kind of forget about it let it go away and so we can come back in a really big way really reinvent it really give it the time away mm-hmm. to sort of miss this franchise and what it brings to to the movie going experience but we won't get that you know this is only going to be <laughs> three years removed from from spiral mm-hmm. uh and um you know i don't know i don't know what the angle is the, the story is kind of being kept under wraps we don't know what the what the planned plot is going to be we don't we don't really have a clue so could it be a brand new idea that somebody came to the table with that can reinvent this franchise possibly will it be that i don't have that much hope for that i think it's probably going to be more of the same and if that's the case i'm less and less interested in it i'll watch it eventually but i'm not going to go rushing out to see this if it's just the same old thing so we'll ultimately have to see again that'll be coming out october 27th 2023 and with that being said ladies and gentlemen that's all we have for this episode of two black nurse thank you again for tuning into another podcast we will be back later this week to talk about the brand new marvel studios original series on disney plus she hulk attorney at law that's right the series premiere is happening later this week so we'll be back with our weekly recaps and reviews of the eighth original series coming from marvel studios she hulk attorney at law very much looking forward to this one a brand new character that they're going to be introducing into the mcu somebody who has a nice long comic book history that's going to shake up the dynamics of everything that we know about the mcu so i'm looking forward to that we'll be back on friday with episode one review and every friday after that for the remaining eight 
eight episodes. And then, of course, we'll be back next week with our regular podcast to talk about House of the Dragon, which is going to be debuting this weekend on HBO Max. Very much looking forward to that. We also got a couple movies to review. Dragon Ball Super Superhero is debuting in theaters this upcoming weekend. And also the brand new film starring Idris Elba Beast will be dropping as well. So we will have a lot to get to next week, as we always do. But with that being said, until next time, we'll see y'all then. Yes, 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 y'all. We are Audi 5000. Please check out our Nerds of Thunder collection at 2BlackNerds.com. This is the year of 2022 Black Nerds. And remember, always bet on black. Appreciate y'all. Love y'all. Thank you for listening to another episode of 2 Black Nerds, where we're too black, too nerdy, and we out, y'all. Peace.